Hello, I'm Stephen Goodrick and welcome to the latest podcast from The Lancet Neurology. Joining me today is Professor Alan Thompson from the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery here in London. We are going to discuss our newly published series on progressive multiple sclerosis. Professor Thompson is a member of our editorial board and he was the consultant on this series. Professor Thompson, many thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Let's start with some background. The series considers the needs of people living with progressive multiple sclerosis. Can you describe the different forms of multiple sclerosis and explain why focus on the progressive forms of the disorder is so important? The majority of people that develop multiple sclerosis develop what is called relapsing remit- remitting MS and, and by that I mean that they have attacks from which they recover. That is the most common way of beginning to have MS. But a proportion of these patients, and maybe up to two-thirds, over time, and that's 10-15 years, may notice some gradual deterioration in their condition independent of their relapses and that's what we call secondary progressive MS, secondary because it's after the relapsing remitting phase. There's also a small group of uh, people who never have attacks but who just notice right from the beginning that they are getting gradually worse and that's maybe 10 to 15 percent of the population and that's what we call primary progressive MS. So essentially we have relapsing remitting MS and then the two forms of progressive MS primary uh, which starts uh, from onset if you like and secondary which follows the relapsing remitting phase. What are the symptoms associated with progressive forms of MS and and what are the sort of challenges patients and their carers face? The first point to make is that MS can affect just about any any function uh, be it your sensory system, your your mobility, your balance your vision, your hearing, uh, your taste, your your brain function, your cognition uh, can affect bowel and bladder and sexual function. So all of these uh, areas can be involved in, in attacks, in the relapses which I mentioned earlier. What tends to happen in progressive MS that specific areas such as mobility, use of the upper limbs, gets gradually worse over time. So you notice this progressive change and you become increasingly less mobile and less independent, uh, you develop increasing difficulties with your upper limb function, you develop tremor and balance problems, and then uh, later you may also notice some difficulties with your speech and swallowing and with your with brain function. So basically it, the progression can involve any symptom, but you're just seeing a change over time. And mobility is particularly af- affected. And of course, what that means, as I've mentioned, is that the person with progressive MS notices this gradual erosion of their independence, of their day-to-day activities. They can do less and less over time. As a consequence, the, the carers or their families, the people that, that they live with, their friends, have to do more and more for them. It's a greater, greater burden on everybody, both in terms of time and financial support required. Do the underlying mechanisms of progressive MS differ from those of relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis? There are important differences and, and uh, I must say this comes out very clearly in the in the series of papers and I think if I was being very simplistic what I would say is that relapsing remitting MS is predominantly inflammatory so you get inflammatory attacks which present as relapses whereas in progression we're dealing more with neurodegeneration. In MS, the the main problem is that with inflammation, you get damage to the myelin sheath, which, which surrounds and protects 
the, the nerve axons. So the inflammation is a key part of that, and that's what we see in relapsed and remitting MS. But as the axons get damaged, uh, you see more progressive change, and that's really what we call neurodegeneration. These two processes, inflammation and neurodegeneration, are of course linked. There, there, there is a relationship between them, but it's quite a difficult relationship to define. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the relapsing remitting patients are predominantly inflammatory and progressive is predominantly neurodegeneration. So over the past two decades, there's been enormous progress in the treatment of relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. But why haven't we seen the same advances in the treatment of progressive multiple sclerosis? This really comes back to my, my uh, earlier points about the different mechanisms underlying them. I think the, the, the advances in, in relapsing remitting MS have been quite extraordinary and uh, we now have 10, 11, 12 uh, new, uh, new drugs which we can use to influence the occurrence of relapses uh, to reduce them and to reduce the kind of the activity we see on magnetic resonance imaging. And this is because we have drugs which can suppress inflammation. And suppressing inflammation, although it was very difficult to do, from the mid-1980s we've got better and better at learning how to modulate and, and suppress this underlying activity. What is much more difficult and we, we struggle with, not just in MS, but in a whole range of neurological generative conditions is how we stop axonal death, how we stop neurodegeneration occurring. And the approaches one might take to that are, are several. Uh, some of the more straightforward might be to try and encourage repair or remyelination. Another might be to try and protect the nerve axons so that they don't get damaged. But it's much more complicated. So I think that's really the main reason why we have seen uh, so much uh, progress in relapsing remitting MS and relatively little in, in progressive MS. I should also say though that I think that the focus of research activity and indeed also of the pharmaceutical industry has been very much on the relapsing remitting form of MS over the last 20 years uh, and that's also important that, and that it's now important to change the focus or at least to move the focus so that it also includes the progressive forms of MS. In the absence of any disease-modifying treatments for progressive MS, we're really left with the challenge of alleviating the symptoms and trying to improve function. I mean, is there anything that we could make better use of to improve function and the quality of life for people living with progressive forms of multiple sclerosis? There are a number of points I would make about how we manage progressive MS. First of all, I think that we have a range of symptomatic treatments and we have a very powerful approach in the guise of neurorehabilitation. So I think that there are a number of things we can do to alleviate symptoms and to help improve or at least stabilize function through uh, rehabilitation. However, I think it's also fair to say that this, this is an area or these are areas where there has not been anywhere near the amount of research activity that we would like to see. So I think raising up the importance of symptomatic management and of rehabilitation is terribly important and that's something else which we need to need to consider. The other point to make is that to provide that level of care and coordination is very challenging and is usually and often done very badly. So if you look across the United Kingdom, indeed across any, any uh, countries in Europe or across the world, you will find places where services uh, are very well coordinated, very well targeted and 
people with progressive MS can have a really very good quality of life. They have a very responsive service that meets their needs. But there are other places, and I mean, even within London, within the UK, where service provision is very poor, where it's not coordinated, it's not joined up. And as a consequence, this has a huge impact on the quality of life of patients with progressive MS. In the third paper in the clinical series, Daniel Ontonida and colleagues summarise what we've learnt from clinical trials in progressive MS and they also consider the ways to optimise clinical trials in the future. I mean, what steps do you think could be taken to facilitate the discovery and the development of disease-modifying treatments? The points that are made in that article are really important, um, and things like thinking about trial design, and can we think about new and different ways of designing trials that don't take a, a very long time to reach conclusions? Can we identify new clinical outcomes, and can we include new biomarkers that look at, I'll give you some insight into the underlying neurodegeneration. These are all really important things. For me, the most important, if we are to develop new treatments, is to get a better understanding of the mechanism underlying neurodegeneration because uh, it's only by understanding those underlying mechanisms and they are discussed in, uh, in another paper in, in the series by Don Mahadan and his colleagues. If we get to understand those mechanisms, then we can identify new targets for treatment. And it's only by identifying new targets that we can then identify new ways of, of addressing them and stopping the, the disease progression. So I think an understanding of the underlying uh, mechanism is, is really critical. It's also quite important to mention that, that there are uh, drugs that we currently use in other conditions, and I'm just thinking of things like uh, statins or drugs for epilepsy like phenytoin, which may well have a useful effect in progressive MS because they may have some effect on either on repair or on um, neuroprotection. And so another challenge and another opportunity for treating progressive MS is looking to see if we can use these uh, existing agents. And that in itself is, a, is an issue because you need to develop large-scale trials to evaluate the efficacy of things like statins. And of course, this is not uh, financially uh, very encouraging for industry. So this is something which we as communities need to, need to consider for how we might do this. is really about repurposing existing agents, which I think is another very important avenue to consider. So you are the chair of the Scientific Steering Committee of the International Progressive MS Alliance. This was set up to make progressive MS a global research priority and to accelerate progress. How does the Alliance plan to achieve these goals? The International Progressive uh, MS Alliance was set up, as you say, uh, with, a, with a very clear goal, which was to deliver treatments for progressive MS and to improve symptomatic management and rehabilitation. It's a very simple goal, but it's a very, very challenging one. And the way we, uh, we set about this is we, first of all, felt and feel that it's really important to raise the profile of progressive MS. It's important to coordinate the activities worldwide and really to bring together the, the key international figures in the field so that they will work together. What we need is to identify the, the blocks to treatment 
and to lay out a research program that will address those blocks over time. So, for example, and this is really going back to what we've been discussing over the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes, one of the blocks is identifying targets for treatment. And another is to uh, develop new clinical trials and to identify new outcome measures that could be used within those trials, both biomarkers and clinical. And another is to move those trials on in to bigger, more definitive studies. And then finally, to address the areas of rehabilitation and symptomatic management. So what we've done over the last relatively short period of time is we have had an extraordinary response from the international MS community who are now working together in a way which they have never done before. We have a single scientific advisory committee. We have uh, single review committees. We've set up uh, a research call, uh, our first research call, which was for uh, small stimulating grants. And that's been a a huge success and involved over, over 20 countries and now we're moving on to a much bigger research call which is looking at uh, major networks that would attract uh, collaborations worldwide international collaborations which would really result in what we would hope would be transformative research that would make a huge difference to uh, people with progressive MS. A lot of these priorities are quite long term. I mean, things like setting up the, the local networks, they're probably more in the, in the have a short term priority. So are there any other short term priorities that you can identify in the clinical practice or even in, in the care of people with progressive MS? That's a good point. And I think we are, it's quite interesting, even since we have uh, set up this alliance, the amount of attention and focus that is now being paid to progressive MS and to looking at how we might improve improve care and management. We have set up a a rehabilitation group which has looked at how we can improve care uh, which is actually working together to try and look at ways in which we can improve mobility for example. We have some agents which will now help with uh, improving mobility, improving tone. We have agents coming through which might, might help with spasticity, new agents and there's the whole care piece. There's the whole aspect of coordinating care, which which I've mentioned earlier. There are additional short-term efforts, but I think that what we really want to deliver is treatment. And that that is the biggest challenge, but it is the most important. And although you say, well, this is somewhat long-term, these network grants are, are three to four years. We have already got quite a number of trials ongoing in progressive MS, and we may be getting, we will be getting results of those over the coming months. There will be movement in the area. So there's certainly a, an awful lot going on at the moment, both in the short term and in the long term. And thank you very much for putting these series into context. It's given an, an awful lot of information and food for thought. So, Professor. Thompson, thank you very much for talking to us today. My pleasure. Thank you. This is Stephen Goodrick. Until the next time, goodbye.